Well, hello there. How's it going? <laughs> Good, I hope. I hope you're well. Welcome to D&D Optimized. This is part of the D4 network, and it's a show where uh, each week we take a deep dive into one, sometimes two, specific character builds for Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition. We crunch numbers about them, we theorycraft about them, and basically we try to create a character that is both really fun and also really powerful to play in-game. So if you enjoy creating characters for D&D almost as much as you enjoy playing the actual game itself, then welcome home. This is where you belong, and we are super happy to have you here, so thanks for being here. Uh, my name's Colby, and I'll be your host. Quick favor, if you enjoy the content, or if you think you might enjoy the content, do me a favor and click that little like button uh, down there in the corner, and um, that that does a lot for me and for the channel and for the video. So thank you for that. And uh, yeah, that's all. Let's jump in. Way back when I did my first ever like Nova build or burst damage build, the Assassiner, ding, I complained that the thing that I didn't like about Nova builds or burst damage builds was that a lot of the time, not all the time, but a lot of the time they really kind of start to feel samey. There are certain abilities that are really difficult to pass on when you're trying to, you know, focus on creating a burst damage or Nova damage character. Taking two levels of fighter so that you can pick up action surge is almost impossible to ignore, I think, as a, as a burst or Nova focused character. If you are a melee weapon user, getting at least a couple levels of Paladin for smite is almost always going to make you stronger. And so here's a case in point. The build that I am going to present today for the first nine levels, at least, the build that I'm going to present today takes the exact same like multi-class character progression as the last Nova build that I did a few weeks ago, uh, the Critlander, card number two. And I know, that's kind of obnoxious. I almost decided to postpone this build for a few weeks as a result. But instead, I actually decided to use this character today to prove a little bit of a point. Here's one thing that I absolutely love about Dungeons and & Dragons. And by absolutely love, I mean it's like one of my favorite things about the game. You can take two characters, uh, both of which are a Paladin 2, Sorcerer 4, Fighter 3, and still make what feel like, to me at least, two very different characters. By simply taking a different feat here, uh, some different spells there, a different subclass along the way maybe, we can make this character who might have the same like class levels and even combat goals as another similar character, but who plays very differently mechanically. And that's of course to say nothing of like the roleplay and the story and the persona that you create around each character, right? And for me, at least, that means almost a limitless opportunity to dream up fun, interesting, compelling, exciting characters to explore these fantasy worlds with. And that is glorious. So for the build today, yes, we are going for burst damage. But the super fun thing about it, and that's different really than any other build I've done, I think, is that it's totally designed to like put your enemy in this lose-lose situation where they have to make a choice, but either choice is going to hurt. We're pushing them around. We are doing a lot of damage with a spell that most people, I think, kind of overlook or think is kind of bad. And we really only need a single attack 
on our Nova round to do the majority of our damage, which really means that we're also going to be conserving uh, our resources a little better than most burst damage builds do, which is nice. Now, I have to give a shout out here to uh, one of my longtime subscribers and viewers, Rob Vera, I think it's Vera, it might be Vera, I suppose. But anyway, he's the one who planted the seed for this idea many, many months ago. I can't even remember which video it was that he commented on and, and, and suggested this build. I don't remember all of the details of it, but the kernel or the seed of the build was definitely, was definitely planted by him. So thanks, Rob. And I will say that we are gonna get a little bit stupid with this build. <laughs> we multi-class a lot, that's not too surprising. We don't even get our second ability score increase or feat until like level 12, I think. We basically never take extra attack or even great weapon master, even though we're using a heavy weapon the whole time. It's dumb, but it's also incredibly reliable and awesome and hilarious and cool and really, really powerful. Now, I am not going to really come up with a great story reason for all the multiclassing that we're going to be doing here. I might throw out a suggestion or two along the way or, or give you something here in a minute at the beginning. But for this one, I'm just gonna say what I often say on sort of my crazier tons of multiclassing jumping around builds. And that is, you know, for this character, I would make up your own custom class. And just, you know, as part of that class, you happen to take X of this class, Y of that class, Z of a third, A of a fourth even. Depending on your table, you don't always necessarily have to have like a great story reason for why you're taking, you know, some levels in X class right now. Some DMs really like that, but if it were me, I would come up with my character concept early on here for this character uh, that you plan to make work through it with your DM before you even, you know, start the campaign. I would probably go with something like, I'm a half giant, half celestial who has an innate sense of religion and or duty as well as magical talent, but who for some reason has a knack for undermining the powerful and rich using a facade of my mesmerizing performance capabilities to earn their trust. <laughs> And so my class is a mystical Hulk, or like a spiritual Robin Hood, or something like that. But regardless of what you decide to call yourself, I'm calling it the Catch-22. And check out the awesome artwork for this character concept by my friend Randall Hampton. Um, I love his artwork. If you're interested in seeing more of Randall's stuff, it's all fantastic. Check out the video description and I'll post links so that you can follow him. Anyway, thanks Randall. Loved this one like I love all of them. And let's jump into the build. All right, at level one, we are starting off our class as a paladin, like I've mentioned. We're mostly here for smite, but if I'm being honest, I am generally a fan of the Paladin chassis. Um, there's a lot of nice perks for it, even early on. So as for our race, first off, no kidding, I really do like custom lineage for this character for story reasons. I consider myself to be a half-giant, half-celestial, and there's not really an existing race in D&D that fits that mold perfectly, so custom lineage gives you the opportunity to create your own lineage, right, in that way. But, of course, we're here for mechanical purposes as well. The plus two ability score, but then the free feat. Uh, there is a feat that this build is very, very dependent upon, and I would much rather start off with it than wait till level four, or even six in, in our case. Not only that, but the feat that we're taking is a half feat, 
and so it's going to let us start with an 18 in our most important ability score. So that combined with the free feet just makes it really tough to beat at level one. If you really hate custom lineage with a white hot passion, or if you already get a free feat at your table, take whatever your favorite race is, you lucky bastard. <laughs> I, I don't have a really strong recommendation otherwise for this character. How about a Genasi? Genasis are cool. As for that free feat, we are going to take Crusher. It's one of my favorite feats out of Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. It gives you a plus one to your strength or constitution. We're going to take strength. And then if you get a critical hit, all attacks against the enemy are made with advantage for everybody until your next turn. And most importantly, once per turn, when you hit a creature with bludgeoning damage, you can move them five feet so long as they are only one size larger than you. Remember that for the future, that's important. They don't get a saving throw to like resist that movement, you just move them. And that's a big deal, and it's actually going to be a bit of a recurring theme for this build, the no saving throw bit. As for ability scores, I assume as always that we're doing the point by method, and so I would recommend starting with a 15 strength, taking your plus two for your racial there, and the plus one, of course, for the feat, giving you an 18 strength to start. Then I would go 14 Constitution and a 14 Charisma. You've got to have at least a 13 for Paladin. Yes, you could take a Hexblade dip here. Instead, in that way, focus on Charisma for your spells and your attacks. If you're going to do this, you would be less mad, uh, multiple ability score dependent, but you would get off to a slower start damage-wise, and there's a couple other things that make it a little bit wonky to me. We'd have to make a, an even bigger investment into Hexblade if we really wanted to you know, get the most out of it. So anyway, I'm just skipping it, but it is a viable alternative. As for equipment, just kind of standard stuff, really. I would say take chainmail and make sure you pick up a maul. A maul is the hardest hitting bludgeoning damage weapon we can get our hands on. And so, yes, we are going to be Thor here uh, using a big hammer and doing lots of damage with it. Also, of course, as a paladin at level one, we get the lay on hands feature, which is awesome. It gives you, you know, five points per paladin level that you can use to heal one hit point for each point, or you can spend five to cure disease or poison on yourself or an ally, really nice. And you get divine sense, which is kind of a utility feature that lets you potentially sense, you know, fiends and undead and uh, fey. Fey? Celestials. Hmm, one of the two. <laughs> Celestials. At level two, we get a fighting style. And when you're using a weapon with two hands and you're trying to focus on damage, great weapon fighting style is probably going to be your go-to. You know, it lets you re-roll any ones or twos. When you roll damage for the weapon only and you get a one or a two, you can re-roll those. You have to keep what you re-roll. As I mentioned before, it really only adds about one damage per attack, depending on the enemy armor class, so it's not amazing. Go ahead and grab something else if you really want. If I were looking for an alternative, it would probably either be defense to raise my armor class by one, since I'm not planning on using a shield much with this character, or interception, which lets us uh, protect our allies a little bit and is nice. Of course, we also get, as a paladin level two, divine smite, the main reason that we're here. As most of us know, we hit an enemy with a melee weapon attack and can then pile on some extra damage, right? It's 2d8 if we burn a first level spell slot for it, and then plus 1d8 for each additional spell slot higher than that that we use, but it caps at a fourth level spell slot, or 5d8 
total. And then we do get spells as well. So, you know, I'm just going to recommend my favorites here. I think Bless is fantastic, as most of you know. It gives us and some of our allies an extra d4 on our attacks and on our saving throws. Cure Wounds, of course, for a heal when you're out of Lay on Hands points is nice. And I think for this build, I would be a little remiss not to mention Thunderous Smite. You cast Thunderous Smite as a bonus action. It requires your concentration, but it only lasts until your next hit lands, essentially. So your next attack is going to do an extra 2d6 of thunder damage, because we are the god of thunder, after all. And then it also forces a strength save on the enemy's part, or else they are pushed up to 10 feet away and knocked prone. Now... The same spell slot that you would use for Thunderous Smite, if you used it instead for Divine Smite, would do a little more damage, right? 2d8 as opposed to 2d6. But if you're not otherwise using your bonus action, knocking an enemy prone could mean advantage for, you know, the rest of your party, at least the melee members of your party, until that enemy stood back up. So that might make it better than Divine Smite. And of course, you know, we are building this character for burst damage. I mean, in a pinch, you could bonus action Thunderous Smite, attack, and if the attack hits, you also add a Divine Smite on top of it all in one turn, all in one attack, right? It would blow both of your spell slots, and you only have two right now, so I wouldn't advise it generally, but sometimes you're fighting an enemy that just really needs to die and needs to die fast, and doing, you know, 4d6 plus 2d8 plus 4 for your strength modifier in a single attack as a level 2 character would feel pretty cool. <laughs> At level 3, we're going to start taking our sorcerer levels here. First up, we get our Sorceress Origin at level one, uh, our subclass, and I'm gonna recommend Divine Soul. Yes, I love this subclass. The main reason why I would want it for this build is not for the fact that you essentially get access to the entire cleric spell list, which is amazing, but it's for the Favored by the Gods feature, actually. So you get Favored by the Gods, and tells us that if you fail a save or miss with an attack once per short rest, which is nice, you can add 2d4 to the total, possibly changing the failure to a success. As a character who is counting on one big hit for all of their Nova damage and who is not otherwise going to have advantage reliably, this is really nice to have. Add to that the fact that you can add that 2d4 after you know that you've missed and it's that much stronger, really letting you hold on to it until you absolutely need it. And then of course we do get sorcerer spells now. So the only one that I'm gonna say is a must have here is gonna be the Booming Blade Cantrip. It's an action to cast and as part of the spell you make a melee weapon attack. If it hits, you will do some extra damage once you hit level five and beyond, but then also from that point until your next turn, if that creature that you hit moves of their own free will, then they're gonna take some additional damage for moving. And we're gonna use both components of that for this build. The cantrip scales, so at level five, it's 1d8 damage for the initial hit, and then 2d8 damage if they move, and then it goes up at levels 11 and 17. So from this point on, during our turn, we're going to, as our action, use Booming Blade. We're gonna hit the target, and then thanks to Crusher Feet, we're gonna push them five feet away. Ideally, you want to target a melee enemy here and push them so that they're no longer next to you or any of your allies. Then on their turn, they'll either be forced to just stand there doing nothing, assuming they don't have a ranged attack option, of course, or move up to attack somebody and trigger that extra booming blade damage. This is our first 
catch-22, right? And for the non-native English speakers in the audience, maybe I should explain a catch-22 is basically, you know, when somebody is put in a situation that's kind of a lose-lose, there's there's no good choice, right? They're gonna, they're gonna suffer either way. Anyway, this is our first catch-22. It's weaker than it's gonna be in a couple of levels, but it's still a, a potentially fun predicament to enforce upon our enemies. As for your other spells that you can get here, you know, I would grab Guidance to give you or an ally plus D4 to your next ability check, which is really great, especially for utility, but can also be handy in combat sometimes. I would take Shield for defense that lets us, you know, as a reaction, add five to our AC when we get hit by an enemy and, and it stays at that five AC higher until our turn, which is nice. And then I'd probably make sure to pick up Healing Word so that you could heal an ally from 30 feet away as a bonus action in a pinch, you know, if they've gone down unconscious and you can't quite get up to them because let both Lay on Hands and Cure Wounds uh, require an action and a touch. So Healing Word will be nice in a pinch. At level four, we are a sorcerer level two. We get Font of Magic. So we now get our sorcery points, right? We get one sorcery point per sorcerer level. They reset on a long rest. They will fuel our meta magic options, which we're gonna get next level. For now, we can just kind of use them to create more spell slots for ourselves, which is nice. And we can also convert spell slots into sorcery points later when we actually have something to do with them, right? Um, in order to use our meta magic more often if we've got spell slots to burn. We also do, thanks to our multi-classing with Paladin, we get second level spell slots here. For us, that's probably mostly going to mean, you know, upcasting Smite to do 3d8 damage instead of 2d8 damage. At level five, we are a Sorcerer three, and this is kind of where everything starts to come together. So, Keep in mind, Booming Blade now does 1d8 on the initial attack and 2d8 if they move. And then we get Metamagic. So we're now going to be able to use our sorcery points to do cool things with our spells, like cast them without verbal or somatic components, or re-roll the damage dice for a spell, or make the duration of a spell last longer. Pick your favorite. There's lots of good ones. But make sure to grab Quicken Spell, which is my favorite. And that tells us for two sorcery points, we can cast a spell that normally has a casting time of an action as a bonus action. And then we also now get second level sorcerer spells. I would just say, take your favorites. There's lots of good ones. Aid, web, spiritual weapon will be nice for like our non-Nova damage round to, to bump our sort of sustained damage. Misty step, of course, but just make sure that you take cloud of daggers. Here's a spell that oftentimes gets overlooked, I think, by the spell analysts of the D&D world. At first glance, it's a little underwhelming. It takes an action to cast, it requires your concentration, and then it just tells us, you fill the air with spinning daggers in a cube five feet on each side, centered on a point you choose within range. A creature takes 4d4 slashing damage when it enters the spell's area for the first time on a turn or starts its turn there. At higher levels, when you cast this spell using a spell slot of third level or higher, the damage increases by 2d4 for each slot level above second. Hmm. So, one little five-foot cube. Most people, I think, probably look at this and go, I mean, I guess maybe to like block a door or to do a little bit of damage to one character, but probably for only a single turn, right? But meh. There are two very important aspects to this spell that I'd like to highlight. First off, the enemy gets no save against the damage. Like I said, kind of a recurring theme here. They just take the damage. For someone with a fairly mediocre spellcasting ability score, that's super nice. 
Second off, we're told that they take the damage when they enter the spell's area for the first time on a turn, not on their or when they start their turn there. So if we could find a way to make them enter the spell's area of effect when it's not their turn, hmm. So from this point on, here's how our Nova round looks. As a bonus action, you quicken Cloud of Daggers and you cast it five feet behind your enemy. As an action, you cast Booming Blade, which is allowed, even though we cast a spell as a bonus action because Booming Blade is a cantrip with a casting time of one action. So we are within the rules here. We make our attack, and if we hit, we smite and also push them five feet backwards into the Cloud of Daggers. As that is the first time that they are entering said cloud, on a turn, they take 44 damage. And then at the start of their turn, they take 4d4 damage from Cloud of Daggers. And then they think to themselves, Crap, I am surrounded by a cloud of flying daggers. I do not want to be surrounded by a cloud of flying daggers. They give me owies. I will move out of the cloud of flying daggers. Wait, crap. I am sheathed in booming energy. If I move, I will take thunder damage. I am sad. But you, you will be happy. Now, some of you may want to argue that the enemy would not take damage upon entering on your turn and when they start their turn there. I would disagree, but I'm happy to let you guys fight it out in the comments. Get out your Sage Advice Compendiums and your Jeremy Crawford tweets. Ready? Fight! Uh, one other thing I wanted to mention about Cloud of Daggers. Just because the area says that it's a single, like, five-foot cube doesn't necessarily mean that if you're playing on a grid, it can only affect one enemy. Now, some DMs may rule that spell effects, like, snap to a grid, right? And if it's a five-foot cube, it just inhabits one five-foot cube. A lot of others, Jeremy Crawford included, have indicated that the point of origin couldn't be, like, between two little five-foot cubes on a grid, right? And so be half in one and half in another. And so in that case, potentially you could affect two enemies if they were standing right next to each other, at least for one turn until, you know, they moved away. It would not, barring, you know, a very generous DM, work like if you put it at the axis of like a four or five-foot cube square, because for the spell to damage an enemy, it has to cover at least half of the cube that they're standing in. But anyway, you might be able to get a little extra damage on a second enemy here, and you can add that topic to the comment fights. At level six, we are a Sorcerer four. You know, we've got places to go and other classes to see, but I felt like I had to grab a fourth level of Sorcerer here for two reasons. One, I really wanted four metamagic points so that I could use Quicken Spell at least a couple of times a day without having to burn spell slots to get more. Two, I really wanted an ability score increase. And actually, there were three reasons, because most importantly, I think I wanted more and better spell slots. So as a Sorcerer 4 and a Paladin 2, we get third level spell slots here, uh, which means that we can upcast both Cloud of Daggers and at least one Smite for, for D8 damage, and that's awesome. We also, yes, get our first ability score increase or feat, and I really want to make sure that we're landing that one big attack and Again, since a lot of our damage is now like saving throw free, I'm not as worried about our charisma score yet. So I'm going to say bump strength so that we're capped at 20, which feels really nice to be there by level six. And so it's time for a damage report, right? For our first damage report, I've already explained what we're going to do for our Nova round, but just to summarize, 
Quicken spell Cloud of Daggers at the third level. Booming Blade attack with a smite. Push them into the cloud. I'm assuming that would be 2d6 plus 5 for our maul and our strength score, right? Plus 1d8 for the Booming Blade. Plus 4d8 for a third level smite plus 64 for getting knocked into the Cloud of Daggers, for which they get no save. On their turn, they take 64 of damage from Cloud of Daggers, for which they get no save. And then 2d8 for moving out of the Cloud, for which they get no save. Of course, they could just decide to stay in your Cloud of Daggers, right? And if they did, that's a huge win for us, because on their next turn, they're gonna take 6d4 damage, which is a little bit more than 2d8. So I'm just gonna assume that they are going to move. So that is a total of 2d6 plus 7d8 plus 12d4 plus five over the course of one round. Whee! I'm also assuming that you've got your favorite of the gods available, that plus 2d4 to hit if you need it. And so, against an enemy with a 10 armor class, assuming all of those things, we would do 73 damage on that one round. And against an, an enemy with a 15 armor class, it would be 70 damage. Again, it hardly goes down because so much of the damage that we're doing is regardless of their saving throw score or their armor class. We just got to make sure we get that one hit. And man, that is right up there with the best of them when compared to other Nova damage builds that I've done at this level. Um, check the video description if you want to look at that comparison in some graphs and spreadsheets. It doesn't quite beat out the Needler. Uh-oh, here we go. Uh, at lower enemy armor classes, but um, by middle enemy armor class and up, it does. Admittedly, we can only do this level of damage once per day, but we do have some second level spell slots left over still so that we could do it again for just a little bit less damage another time. And we also bring, you know, a little bit of support functionality that, like the Needler, for example, is missing. So it's all good. Fun times. All right. At level seven. We're a fighter one. There are many things that we want from fighter, but to be honest, um, I kind of feel like in practice, most of the things that we pick up from fighter are there not so much to add to our burst damage, though there is that, but really to sort of shore up some potential weaknesses and or increase the frequency with which we can burst. So as a fighter at level one, we get a fighting style. And this is our second fighting style now. I would recommend taking superior technique. It gives us one maneuver and one superiority die akin to the Battlemaster subclass. That superiority die is only a D6 as opposed to the D8 that the Battlemasters get, but it will be a really nice way to help add some damage for Nova, not just for that D6, but for the effect that comes from it. Because, you know, the, the maneuvers that I would recommend, well, really, I think there's probably three big contenders. First of all, Trip Attack. Trip Attack is a favorite of mine because, you know, you make the attack, if it lands, you add the D6 of damage, and then if they fail a strength save, the DC for which will be based on your strength score. So you've got a pretty decent chance of succeeding here, even though a lot of enemies have a decent strength saving throw. They will be knocked prone if they fail that save, meaning that you would then have advantage on them, and so would your other melee allies until they stood up on their turn. 
and that will be potentially handy next level. Menacing attack is another favorite. It gets a similar d6 on the attack when you land it, but then they have to make a wisdom saving throw or else they are frightened of you until their turn. And that's gonna be nice because they'll have disadvantage on attacks, they can't move closer to you, and the, the wisdom save is more likely to be failed by most enemies. If I'm being honest, if someone came up and smacked me with like the world's biggest golf club, <laughs> and hit me so hard that I flew five feet backwards into a flying cloud of slashing blades that they had just conjured, I'd be afraid too. I'm gonna assume when we're crunching the numbers that we're using trip attack for that advantage that it will give us. That said, if it were me playing this character in game, I would think very hard about taking precision attack instead. A d6 of damage is nice and everything, and so is knocking an enemy prone, but if you're blowing Quicken Spell to set up your Nova round, you really, really want your Booming Blade attack to hit. You know, fortunately we have Favor of the Gods, but if that's spent or not quite enough, it would be nice to have another d6 in your pocket to add to that attack roll, and that's what Precision Attack does. It also lets you wait until after the attack roll has been made, which is nice. And then also as a fighter at level one, we get second wind, which lets us heal once per short rest as a bonus action for D10 plus our fighter level. Uh, so between that and lay on hands, we've got a couple of nice little self heals or even ally heals with our spells and things too. At level eight, we are a fighter too. And yes, we get action surge, which tells us that, you know, once per short rest, we can get another action on our turn, so we could get two whole actions. So sure, on our Nova round now, we could quicken Cloud of Daggers, Booming Blade attack with a smite, knock the enemy back and knock them prone, potentially even, and then action surge and make a second Booming Blade attack with a smite. You gotta be careful here though. If you hit with your first attack and push them back, you've got to step up now, right? To make that second attack and then ideally back away when you're done so that they will have to choose between moving or staying in the cloud, right? We want that catch 22. Now, ideally they'll have disadvantage on that attack for a number of reasons. They could be prone or feared. Of course, you could always wait to push them back until you've action surged and make that second attack to avoid you know taking an attack of opportunity but if that second attack misses you're really going to be kicking yourself i mean if you've knocked them prone on the first attack you will have advantage on that second attack so there's a good chance of making that hit but still something to be wary of. And of course, you know, the nice thing about action surge is you don't have to use it to make another booming blade attack, right? Alternatively, I mean, wouldn't it be great if you're out of sorcery points and, and you don't wanna burn any spell slots to get more to give yourself another Nova round? You could cast Cloud of Daggers as an action, action surge, and then booming blade, knock them back, right? So now you've got multiple options to potentially Nova a little more frequently. So if you're out of sorcery points, if you're out of spell slots, but you still wanna go golfing, action surge would give you an opportunity to do so. And Nova damage is just a lot more fun when you can do it more frequently. At level nine, we are a fighter three. Thus far, there has been a little bit of a weakness, I think, with our build. It doesn't work against huge creatures. Remember, the Crusher feet only knocks back enemies if they are no more than one size larger than you. Let's solve that problem here. 
So yes, at level three, fighters get their martial archetype, their subclass, and we are going with, I think, my favorite martial archetype for fighters, which is the Rune Knight. And I haven't done a Rune Knight for a minute. It's been since my collaboration video with Treant Monk, I think. Check that out there if you have not seen it. But yeah, I love Rune Knights. They can bring a lot of power and versatility to a class that I think sometimes can feel a little vanilla. Here's what we read about them. Rune Knights enhance their martial prowess using the supernatural power of runes, an ancient practice that originated with giants. Rune cutters can be found among any family of giants, and you likely learned your methods first or second hand from such a mystical artisan. Whether you found the giant's work carved into a hill or cave, learned of the runes from a sage, or met the giant in person, you studied the giant's craft and learned how to apply magic runes to empower your equipment. It's delicious. So, as a rune knight, we get proficiency in smith's tools, we learn the giant language, those are nice things, and then we get the rune carver feature. So we now get to learn two runes that we can carve into a weapon or armor, and then we can draw upon the power of those runes once per short rest each rune. The two that I would recommend are, first off, Cloud. This is incredibly powerful. We get advantage on sleight of hand and deception checks. Okay, that's not that powerful, but then when you or an ally within 30 feet are hit by an attack roll, you can, as a reaction, force that attack to target another creature, potentially enemy, ideally an enemy, uh, that you can see within 30 feet using the same attack roll, regardless of the range. And I will say, having experienced this in-game, that getting hit by a critical hit and then forcing that critical hit to attack your enemy's ally is like one of the funnest things that you can do in D&D. <laughs> it's so great. Uh, as for the second rune, I'm going to recommend Fire Rune. And for this build, this is equally amazing. So with Fire Rune, we can, first of all, we get to double our proficiency bonus when we use tools that we're proficient with. But then also when we land a weapon attack, we can invoke the rune to deal an extra 2d6 of fire damage and force a strength save on the target or else they are restrained. And that means they can't move, attacks against them have advantage, and their attacks have disadvantage. And they have disadvantage on dexterity saving throws. How amazing is it going to be when you hit your enemy with your mallet and knock them back into a cloud of flying daggers. And when they get there, they find themselves wrapped in fiery chains, preventing them from leaving said cloud of flying daggers. The answer is A, so amazing. What's more, if you knocked them prone and restrained them, they are not gonna be able to stand up, right? Until they free themselves from those chains. Now, unfortunately, it is a strength saving throw that they get to make to not be wrapped up in those chains. And also, unfortunately, the DC is based not on your strength for, for rune knights, but on your constitution. And our constitution score isn't amazing. So the likelihood of these chains actually sticking isn't fantastic, but if they do fail, they will take another 2d6 of fire damage at the start of their turn, each turn until they break those chains. They get to make a saving throw at the end of each turn. Regardless, that 2d6, the initial 2d6 fire damage that you do is going to hit no matter what, whether they're shackled or not. And so altogether, this is just ugh, perfect. But wait, there's more. Because we also, as a rune knight, get the giant's might feature and it is perfect for us because remember what I said about Crusher not working against huge creatures. Well, in comes Giant's Might to solve that problem. 
proficiency bonus times per day, which right now for us is four. As a bonus action, we can grow to a large size. And so now we can use Crusher on creatures that are one size larger than large, which is huge. We also get advantage on strength checks and saves, which is great if we want to say, I don't know, grapple a target after our Nova round is over to both keep them from getting to our allies, but also to hold their face in something like a cloud of daggers. That might come in handy. Oh, and once per turn, one of our attacks gets an extra d6 of damage. So for a damage report at level 9, it's, it's potentially going to take a round to set up if we want to activate Giant's Might. No, we don't have to. If we're not fighting any huge creatures, I don't know if I would wait a turn to get into my Nova damage. So, you know, you could wait and activate it on round 2 if you wanted to. But just for fun, let's assume that you have Giant's Might on. Okay, so like round one, you bonus action Giant's Might, then maybe make an attack, cast a spell, whatever. Then on round two, if you wanted to blow most of your resources on one glorious Nova round, you could potentially Quicken Cloud of Daggers again at the third level, then Booming Blade the enemy. If it hits, you'd apply your Mauls 2d6 plus 5 for strength, your Giant's Might 1d6, your Trip Attacks 1d6, your Fire Runes 2d6, Booming Blades 1d8, and a third level Smite for 4d8, and then Crushing Blow them into your Cloud of Daggers where they would take 64, where they would potentially land prone, wrapped in fiery chains and sheathed in booming energy, all while being cut up by a cloud of flying daggers. You would then, potentially, Action Surge, Step Up, and Booming Blade again, this time with a second level Smite for another 2d6 plus 5 for your Maul, plus 1d8 for Booming Blade, plus 3d8 for Smite. Then on their turn, they're going to take 64 for Cloud of Daggers and probably step out, unless of course they are shackled by Fiery Chains still, in which case they would take 2d6 more damage from the Fiery Chains and more Cloud of Daggers damage on their next turn. Oh, who are we kidding? They're not going to be alive on their next turn, because that's a total of 8d6 plus 11d8 plus 12d4 plus 10. I'm not assuming that they're shackled. Also, again, I'm assuming that you've got that plus 2d4 on your first attack and advantage on the second attack because they're prone. Yes, I fully realize that this is all best-case scenario stuff, that won't always play out, but if it did, against an enemy with a 10 armor class, you would do 120 damage on average. And against an enemy with a 16 armor class, it would be 115. Alright, so at this point, I, I really consider the core of the build fairly complete. I mean, in fact, I might even go so far as to say that we were kind of done with the core by level 5. Regardless, I think there are a lot of ways we could go from here, if your campaign is going to go to level 10 and beyond. Sticking with Fighter or going back to Paladin are both valid options to get ability score increases, feats, potentially a Paladin Oath, and, I mean, we still don't have extra attack. About that, though, to be honest, with Booming Blade, and especially with the Booming Blade upgrade that's just around the corner, I really don't miss extra attack that much on this build. I know some of you may think that's heretical, but just keep in mind that if we take the attack action, we can't use Booming Blade on our turn without spending resources, and I like to save those resources for our Nova round. This means that, yes, finding a way to get extra attack would let us make another 2d6 plus 5 attack on our turn, but we would potentially give up the 3d8 to get it 
if we're making an attack on a melee enemy on our turn, knocking them back and forcing them to choose between doing nothing or moving up, right? And taking that extra booming blade damage. I'm not saying that extra attack isn't potentially valuable, especially if we have a lot of spell slots to spend on more smites. I just don't see it as a huge priority on this character, obviously. But speaking of spell slots, on the other hand, I do see that as our most important priority from this point on, at least until we can, you know, get enough spells to sort of cap our smites and upgrade our cloud of daggers a little bit more. So yeah, we want more of them and we want higher level ones. As a charisma-based caster, we've got a few options there. I would rather not go warlock because the warlock spell slots don't stack with your other spell slots, so we would sort of be forced to start over. Do you know what I mean? Even though they refresh on a short rest and that's nice, but you only get two per short rest forever and yeah again they don't they don't increase the the spell slot level of your other spell slots so that basically leaves us with going back to sorcerer which would be a perfectly viable option especially if we were more interested in higher level spells more than you know adding damage to our nova round necessarily for me though i think my preference here would be to go bard First of all, because bards are awesome, and they get lots of nice ways to make our character a little more well-rounded. Primarily, I suppose, I like the additional burst damage we can pick up by going this route. And it's been a minute since I've done any bard levels, so it's kind of fun. So yes, at level 10, our celestial giant hybrid is taking bard levels, uh, and we are a bard one. Perhaps we're doing this to infiltrate the inner court of some rich and oppressive noble. To undermine them financially or politically? I would actually love to hear like the backstory or character arc that you would come up with for this particular character, a paladin, sorcerer, rune knight, bard. <laughs> so let me know in the comments if you've got any good ideas. As a bard, at level one we get bardic inspiration. As a bonus action, one creature other than you within 60 feet, uh, we can basically give them inspiration to inspire them uh, using song or, uh, or oration. And please have a song, at least occasionally, when you give out inspiration or maybe like a cool quote or a speech or something funny. It, it always adds great flavor to any game. But then your ally for the next 10 minutes can then use this inspiration die, which you've given them, which is a d6 for now, to add to any ability check, attack roll, or saving throw. For now, we can only use this charisma modifier times per long rest, which means only two for us, which is kind of a bummer. But we will try to fix that eventually. We also get spells, of course, bard spells, first level spells, cantrips. I will just say, pick your favorites. There are some fantastic ones for fun and flavor and utility, uh, like Vicious Mockery, Hideous Laughter, and especially, I think, Dissonant Whispers, which can be paired nicely with Booming Blade, actually, if you use it on a target who's been hit by your Booming Blade, yours or someone else's, I guess, for that matter, causing them to run away and trigger that additional Booming Blade damage for moving. At level 11, we are a Bard 2. Uh, and this is a big level for us. So we get Jack of All Trades, which, you know, if you're not proficient in a skill, you now get to add half of your proficiency bonus when making an ability check with that skill. Very nice for utility, mostly. And then we get Song of Rest, which tells us that when you and your allies are spending hit dice to recover hit points during a short rest, uh, your music or oration soothes them to let you add an additional 1d6 of healing. Not amazing, but every little bit helps. More importantly, I think, 
we get fourth level spell slots now, thanks to our multi-classing, for stronger smiting and stronger cloud daggering. <laughs> and at level 11, Booming Blade gets a bump too. So the initial attack does 2d8 on that first hit with it, and then if they move, they take 3d8 damage. At level 12, we are a Bard 3. Um, we get Expertise. So you choose two skills that you are proficient in and you double your proficiency bonus for them. If it were me, I would probably go with perception and athletics, I think, for better grappling checks when I needed them. But do what you want. Uh, we also get second level bard spells. Pick your favorites, same as last time. Uh, you know, lots of great options, especially for control and for utility. And then we get our bard college, uh, our subclass. I originally planned on going Swords Bard here, and I was actually really excited to, uh, you know, get to use a strong subclass that I haven't used since the Bard Locker. Uh-oh. That's my fifth card, I think. But in the end, I think we need to go with the College of Whispers. It's just, it's a lot better for our Nova round due both to the bigger damage that they get to add, and because of the fact that Swords Bard's don't get to add their extra damage unless they take the attack action, which would be worse for us than simply casting Booming Blade since we don't have extra attack right now. And while sure, Swords eventually would get extra attack, it's not until level six Bard and we could pretty easily pick up that feature from another class if we wanted. Still, if you wanted to go Swords Bard here, I would say go for it and live your life with no regrets. As for us, yes, we're going Whispers and Whispers Bards are awesome. So we get Words of Terror, first of all. Uh, this is incredibly dark and sinister, and I love the juicy flavor of it. You speak to a humanoid alone for at least a minute, and then they have to make a wisdom save or be frightened of you for an hour. I can't imagine that this actually sees a lot of use in most campaigns, but if you have seen this at your table, especially if you've done it yourself, but regardless, let me know. I'd love to hear that story, actually, and what happened to that creature, and, and what was said, if anything specifically was said by the character for that one minute as they planted a little seed of terror in their target's mind. And then, of course, we also get Psychic Blades, which is the main reason that we're here. So once per turn, when you hit a creature with a weapon attack, you can expend a use of your Bardic Inspiration. Remember, we only have two per day at the moment to deal an extra 2d6 of Psychic Damage. And there's no reason that you shouldn't be able to stack this with Divine Smite. At level 13, we are a Bard 4, and we get 5th level spell slots, first of all because of multi-classing. Divine Smite was capped at fourth level spell slots for damage, but uh, <laughs> I almost said Call of Duty is not capped because I abbreviated it in my notes as COD. Call of Duty has no cap. So yeah, Cloud of Daggers has no cap, so you can upcast it. So fifth level Cloud of Daggers spell is gonna do 10d4 damage, ideally twice in a round, right? We also, as a Bard 4, get an ability score increase or feat. A smart person would probably go for, like, resilient constitution here. But I'm a moron who only cares about damage, and so I want to bump my charisma. And there, there is actually even an argument to be made, I think, for taking Great Weapon Master here. But for me, you know, because we do so much extra damage when we hit from Giant's Might and from Smites and Booming Blade and pushing into Cloud of Daggers, that hitting is is just much more important even than that plus 10 damage would be from the Great Weapon Master. So with no reliable source of advantage on the first hit at least, that minus five 
to hit penalty that Great Weapon Master imposes just really makes it worth not even using, even on like middling armor classes and above. On the other hand, we are getting all kinds of new needs for a high charisma score, most especially for more uses of our inspiration and psychic blades. So if we bump our charisma here to a 16, uh, we'd at least get to use it three times per day, right? As for a damage report at level 13, our tactics haven't really changed much since last time, but we do have better spells for smiting and for upcasting Cloud of Daggers, uh, and we get to add Psychic Blades to our Nova round as well. Yay! So against an enemy with a 10 armor class, we would on average do 172 damage in a round and against an enemy with a 17 armor class, it would be 166. Looking good. At level 14, we are a Bard 5. I really want just one more level in Bard here, I think, because we get a lot at fifth level. So starting off, we get third level Bard spells. Pick your favorites. Um, there are some great ones. Hypnotic Pattern, Catnap, Tiny Hut. You know, super great for utility and control. Our Bardic Inspiration goes to a D8 now, which is nice. Psychic Blades goes to 3d6 now, which is nice. And best of all, we get Font of Inspiration. And this tells us that we get our Bardic Inspirations back on a short rest now. So that means more helping your allies and more using Psychic Blades. And as I said, doing burst damage is always more fun when you can do it more often. At level 15, I think we've gotten our most important features from Bard now, with the bonus damage, the utility, and most importantly, lots of spell slots. So I think for me, I'm probably going to finish the character off by going back to my roots. And finally, after passed through all of these trials and tribulations that my character has passed through, swearing my oath. And for me, that oath is going to be the Oath of Conquest. Apparently, we've been doing a lot of conquering in our 15-level career thus far. And that's for one primary reason. Like clerics, all paladins get a channel divinity that they can use once per short rest. And paladins get two options for that channel divinity. The second is my favorite for this particular build, and that is Guided Strike. So Guided Strike tells us that when you make an attack roll, after you see the roll, but before the DM says if it hits or not, you can add 10 to the roll, just a flat 10. Again, you know, with so much at stake for us on like one or two big hits, having another big buff to add to our attack that we can use if and when we need to is just really, really nice. My original plan was actually to go straight to Pally 3 right at the beginning to pick this up, but then I remembered that Favorite of the Gods, though it's not quite as good, works very similarly. And so I decided that it was a little more important for us to get started on our sorcerer levels to get, you know, to get the meta magic and to get those better spells and spell slots. If you wanted to go Pally 3 right at the beginning, I wouldn't fault you. But now, you know, between this Favorite of the Gods and even potentially precision attack if you took that, all of which reset on a short rest, we should very, very rarely miss when we need to hit most. Our second channel divinity option as a conquest paladin uh, is also nice and is the one that I was most interested in when I built my uh, undead support lock. Hey. Stupid five card limit per video. Conquering Presence, which forces enemies within 30 feet to make a wisdom save or be frightened of us. And that's great. We also, of course, get Divine Health uh, as a Paladin at level 3, making us immune to disease, 
which is nice for the rare occasion that that comes up. At level 16, we're a Paladin 4. We get another ability score increase or feat, and now that we have that plus 10 to hit once per short rest, I am even more tempted to take Great Weapon Master. If you did, it would increase your damage during your Nova round by a little bit, up until you hit an enemy armor class of about 18 or so. But at this level, an enemy AC of 18 is not particularly uncommon, right? And in fact, you'll very often see better than that. And with so many dice at stake here, if we hit, I think I would just as soon not use my big to hit bonuses if I can help it. Save that favor of the gods for a failed saving throw, like a smart person. Speaking of saving throws, if you've gone this long without taking Resilient Constitution, you might as well wait at this point because Aura of Protection is just around the corner. To that end, and to increase all of our other spellcaster features and abilities and uh, bardic inspirations, I'm probably just going to bump Charisma again here to a Charisma 18. Also, keep in mind, we do have 6th level spell slots now, thanks to multiclassing. And finally, for us, at level 17, we are a Paladin 5, and that means we get extra attack. <laughs> at level 17? I mean, come on. Honestly, though, depending on your weapon, which admittedly could be an amazing magic weapon at this point, right? And depending on if you're fighting a melee enemy who doesn't have a ranged damage option, I still might not even take the attack action outside of my Nova round, even now that we have extra attack. Because one more weapon attack could just be as little as 2d6 plus 5 versus the 3d8 damage that Booming Blade does on its initial attack, which is slightly better, of course, admittedly, if you had even a plus one magic weapon. That magic weapon then outpaces Booming Blade, right, for, for a single attack. But if your enemy is going to get knocked back, and, and I'm talking outside of Nova round here, if the enemy is going to get knocked back five feet and they're melee and they're going to move up on their turn, taking that extra 4d8 from Booming Blade, which it does now at this level, that's going to beat out most extra attacks with all but the most powerful magical weapons. However, now that we have lots and lots of spell slots to burn smites with, extra attack will undoubtedly be a nice bump to our Nova round. No question. As I mentioned, yes, Booming Blade now does 3d8 on the initial attack, 4d8 if they move, and we do get second level paladin spells at this level too. I mean, you gotta take fine steed, right? But otherwise, knock yourself out. So, for our final damage report, this is what a best case scenario Nova Round looks like if we wanted to burn every resource possible to blow something up. To get a hole in one, as it were, we get Giant Smite going round one uh, as a bonus action. Again, I probably wouldn't do this unless you were fighting a huge enemy or, you know, you knew a fight was about to break out and you had a round to kind of prepare. But then on round two, you would bonus action, quicken Cloud of Daggers at the sixth level, and then as your action, Booming Blade for 2d6 plus 5 for your strength, plus 3d8 for Booming Blade, uh, using your plus 10 to hit if you have to. Assuming you hit, you add... 1d6 for Giant's Might, 1d6 for Trip Attack, 2d6 for Fire Rune, 3d6 for Psychic Blades, and a 5d8 Smite, knocking them back into your Cloud of Daggers where they would take 12d4 damage. Then you step up, Action Surge, taking the attack action now, and hitting them with a 2d6 plus 5 attack and another 5d8 Smite two times. Hopefully, with advantage, if they are prone or restrained, 
uh, by your fire rune. Then on their turn, they take another 12d4 damage from Cloud of Daggers, and if they move, 4d8 damage from Booming Blade for a grand total of 24d4, 13d6, and 22d8 plus 15. And against an enemy with a 10 armor class, that would be 225 damage on average. And against an enemy with an 18 armor class, it would be 222. I'm really happy to see us break the 200 level now, and I'm also really happy about how little the damage drops as the enemy AC goes up. Thanks to so much of our damage happening regardless of the enemy's saving throw or armor class. And even applied with a plus 10 or plus 2d4 to hit if we need it. Compared to other Nova builds that I've done, damage-wise, this is definitely in the top half of the class. But final thoughts. I think more important for me than the numbers, though, this might be the funnest concept of all the Nova builds I've done. Well, okay, maybe tied with like the Bladesinger Nova and the Mercy Monk for me, which I played, by the way, Mercy Monk in a one-shot a couple of weeks ago when we couldn't do our Tales of Anaria campaign, and oh, it was fun, and that made me miss monks, but I digress. This character, the Catch-22, I want to play so bad. Like, it's literally, I think, at the top of my next-to-play list right now. Whether that means for, you know, our next campaign, whenever that happens, or even maybe a, a future one-shot. Just, like, the sheer glee of that big, huge hit knock back into the Cloud of Daggers and seeing your enemy's face as they go, Ah, crap, what do I do? <laughs> I just don't think that would get old all game. I really don't. But But even if it did, like... You, you get a lot of additional sort of utility and versatility with this character as well. I mean, I imagine that after my Nova round was over, I would probably be grappling my enemies fairly often, especially if I've got Giant Smite activated. You know, holding them into the Cloud of Daggers, maybe dropping my Maul and picking up a one-handed weapon to make extra attacks with that weapon as I've got them grappled in the Cloud of Daggers. Or maybe even grabbing two of them and holding both of them in the Cloud of Daggers, right? That's that's going to be great to sort of protect your allies a lot of the time and also, you know, do some nice sort of damage to the enemy each round while you control them. And again, you could grow to a large size and grapple a huge creature even and do that. Throwing out inspiration to my friends as bonus actions, redirecting attacks with Cloud Rune. It just, it just sounds like an absolute blast to play. So I hope you get a chance to try it out sometime in the near future, and I hope I do too. But anyway, that's our show for the week. So I love you guys. Thank you so much for watching. Thank you for your support. I really, truly appreciate it. Uh, you know, if you're not subscribed, please do so and like and comment and consider joining the channel even, uh, all of those things. But uh, anyway, I hope you have a fantastic week. I hope to talk to you very soon. And until then, take care. See ya.